Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, March 22nd. The cost of groceries is still on the rise, despite grocery executives being grilled about their profits earlier this month in Ottawa. We discuss the sky-high cost of putting food on the table and when we may finally see some relief in pricing with Stuart Smythe, Agri-Food Innovation and Sustainability Chair at the University of Saskatchewan. Then we continue our conversation surrounding the price of food, but this time out with the goal of making your grocery dollars go further. We get some tips from Calgary-based food stylist Sylvia Kong, who praises the power of leftovers and the importance of meal planning. And finally, do you have a will? If not, you aren't alone. In fact, according to a recent survey, approximately 50% of Canadians do not have a personal will. We discuss the importance of drawing up a will and simply how to get the process started with Elkie Rubach, principal and founder of Rubach Wealth. Earlier this month, federal MPs questioned major Canadian grocery executives about the rising cost of food and an increase in their profits. They defended themselves and deflected blame. Food costs have gone up yet again, seeing a surge in February. Uh, Joining us to discuss the price increase and when we may finally see some relief is Stuart Smythe. He holds the Agri-Food Innovation and Sustainability Enhancement Chair at the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, Good morning to you, Stuart. Good morning, Andy. Well, it does. It feels like, and I mean, I can't even, you know, know how far back this has gone, but over the past handful of months, at the very least, that we see grocery prices increase every month. Is this going to be the new normal in Canada? I wish I could give you a better answer than that this morning, Andy, but um, yeah, I think, you know, everybody in Canada should be expecting to pay higher food prices than certainly what we would have experienced three or four years ago that with inflation and, and especially food inflation that these prices they may ease up a little bit in the coming months but mm-hmm. but certainly they won't be returning to levels you know of of maybe last spring or or even earlier so we had the grilling of these executives the CEOs and presidents of these companies uh, do you think anything will come from from that uh, the, that meeting and uh, you know having these executives on the hot seat no, I, I think that was really political theater. And what really disappointed me was that they had an opportunity to ask those CEOs what percentage of your profits were incurred from selling food items because they sell cosmetics and mm. pharmaceutical products and clothing and, and um, coffee, gourmet shops and all these kinds of things, right? So if the profit from food was, say, 25% versus, say, 75%, those are really different responses from, from you and I and everybody else's consumers. But Unfortunately, you know, the politicians treat it as a as a as an opportunity to score some political points, not get answers for consumers. So, whereas we did hear that the you know profit margin is razor thin, you don't believe that painted the whole picture. Well, I I think it's you know there's definitely some truth to that. That you know the more units or items they can sell per square foot of shelf space certainly is driving the the profitability in the grocery component. Um, yeah, so so I do um, concur with them when they say that you know that it's like a gas station, right? That yeah. there's there's thin margins and it's based on volume, and so I, I do believe that 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 part is correct. Yeah. What what can or what could the major grocery chains do to uh, bring prices down? Or is there something uh, some kind of a blueprint? Do you think that they could follow to to, to help benefit Canadians? I think what we need is we need fewer regulations from from our governments, so it would allow for more competition. Like, 
there's so much barriers in terms of inter interprovincial trade that could be reduced that would that would contribute to you know smaller medium-sized grocery stores um, maybe starting to to open up uh, that are disconnected from from these large um, national chains and 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 more competition would be a good thing that would help at least mitigate some of these potential for for price increases in your professional opinion and in your experience i know that it seems to me like okay well i bought this product over the past year the price hasn't changed then i go back the next week and it's uh, it's gone up very few items untouched uh, are there some sections of the grocery store that are, are taking a much more you know bolder hit than others in your opinion well i was just looking at some of the the details on that this morning, Andy, and, and, and a few things kind of surprised me. So so some of the fruit, like bananas, were only up 3%, um, beef 2.5%. But then at the other end of the scale, we've got lettuce that's up 20%, apples 16, pasta 23. So th- there doesn't seem to be any, you know, sort of discernible pattern as to, you know, why would bananas only be up 3% yet lettuce is up 20% and, and, and the production, you know, Lettuce is from Southern California, and, and bananas are um, from Latin America. So, the cost of importing those is 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 going to be relatively consistent in terms of the value of the Canadian dollar. So, it 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 is a bit of a challenge at times to to figure out any rationality behind some of these price increases. We know what's happening here, and we do know that inflation is a worldwide thing, and, and people are being hit hard, all corners of the globe. But what about when it comes to grocery and food costs? Is this, you know, unilaterally across the globe, or more so in Canada? We're probably doing a little bit better than, say, the G7. I saw the numbers out of Germany. Um, food inflation is up 20% uh, year over year for February. So, so the one advantage that, you know, maybe we have as Canadians is that when we look at the amount of groceries um, as a percentage of our household income, Canadians have one of the lowest. Um, we spend some of the, the least amount of money of our take-home income on groceries compared to Europe, um, Australia, some of the Asian countries. So, you know, we're, we're a little bit fortunate there. Do you think, and this is, you know, kind of an off-topic question, do you think this is a good opportunity uh, for Canadians to really look at, because uh, I, I know that and I've talked with my co-host, Sue Dale, who's off this week. It used to be I'd go to the grocery store and I'd put groceries in the cart that I needed. I would not look at the prices. The price was not even entering into the conversation. I mean, granted, I wouldn't be buying cases of lobster tails, but I would buy the items. Now I am a much more savvy shopper. Can we take that as perhaps a positive, you know, when we do and hopefully sooner rather than later get past these high prices? Yeah, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, as we start some domestic um, vegetable production that we'll see an easing of, of some of those things like lettuce and some of those more expensive things. That, the one thing that's got me a little bit worried is that next weekend the carbon tax is going to jump mm, by yes. 30%. And, and you know, we, as a, as a vast nation, transporting food is is a huge part of, of our, you know, of our um, supply chains. And so, you know, if, you know, as your earlier question about what could, you know, maybe what can happen is, is maybe the government um, says, you know what, for the next year, we're, we're just going to exempt uh, the carbon tax on, on, you know, everything involving food production and transportation, the, the farm level, the greenhouses, um, everybody gets a break for a year just to, to help ease the, the pressure in this area. If only the government could control something like putting a pause on that carbon tax, if only. Uh, thank you so much, Stuart. We appreciate your time.
You bet. Have a great day, Andy. You too. That is Stuart Smythe. He holds the Agri-Food Innovation and Sustainability Enhancement Chair at the University of Saskatchewan. Yeah, I'm not even sure if we brought that up on the air, but uh, Sue and I were talking about this. How before you, you get your favorite regular items, you just put them in the cart and that was it. Now I'm scrutinizing. I'm looking at alternatives. It's a good thing. We probably all the time should have been doing this. I am certainly not, you know, lighting the, you know, lighting cigars with $100 bills. I don't have the kind of money that I can just funnel away. But I, now I, I, I'm very much cognizant. Has it changed your shopping habits? And do you think that's something you'll, you'll maybe take with you to try to find the best deal for, for those products? Or maybe there's alternatives so you can still keep some money in your pocket. Yes, we're continuing the conversation. Grocery prices uh, up over 10% year over year last month. A shocking increase considering that inflation itself has been on the decline. This adds even more financial pressure to Canadians who are already struggling to make those ends meet. Uh, Sylvia Kong is a Calgary-based food stylist. Joins us now to explain how to make the dollars go further and uh, with a focus a bit more on something we talked about yesterday, leftovers. Good morning to you, Sylvia. Oh, good morning, Andy. How are you doing? Uh, it's so good to, to catch up with you once again. And uh, yes. we, we saw you on Global News Morning you, with the clips of, of you uh, helping out with some, some advice. And I was saying, before we get into to some of your tips, Sylvia, when I grew up, leftovers were a regular occurrence in, in my family house. And it seems to me, I'm not sure if they've gone out of fashion or if it's just in my home, that leftovers have you know, kind of gone the way of the dinosaur. Did you find that things have changed from pe- for people? For sure. I grew up in that kind of household, too. And, you know, waste was a bad word. And, you know, that's hard-earned money if we don't eat those leftovers. That is money going into the compost. And, like, the average Canadian household wastes up to 140 kilograms of wasted food per year. And that's at a cost of more than uh, $1,300 per year. I think you and I could figure out how to spend $1,300 a year if we were given that, right? Hand it over. We'll have some fun with that. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about leftovers because under the leftover umbrella, I think there's a, a few different areas and uh, you'll uh, touch on them for us hopefully, which is, you know, maybe making enough to, to, to prepare ahead for extra meals, but also reusing things. So can you give us what is included under that umbrella of leftovers? Well, um, I always think it's a very smart idea to cook more than you necessarily need, but not too much. And um, when you have leftovers and you've had dinner, those that food should get, get into the fridge within two hours of it being cooked for food safety mm-hmm. and then keep it in the fridge for up to three days in an airtight container. Now, the key is with leftovers, if you have leftovers and you put them at the back of the fridge, then they become compost in your fridge. So you need to have a first in, first out, and rotate some of that food. If it's visible to you, then you're going to eat it. It could be for breakfast. It could be for lunch. Um, I consider it always a bonus to have leftovers because then you don't have to cook and wash dishes again. So always a good thing. And, you know, some foods are not that suitable for reheating if it's like got a pastry base on it. But if it's like a casserole with pasta... Uh, or rice, definitely those freeze beautifully. Or, I mean, they keep in the fridge beautifully. I do uh, get what you're saying. Not in the back of the fridge. And uh, one of the tips on, on Global U underscored as well was the clear containers or maybe even like, you know, uh, the, cell, uh, the saran wrap because it really is a case of out of sight, out of mind. Best intentions are one thing, especially if you have a busy family. People might not even know that they're in the fridge. Yeah, food labeling, like you can put a sticky note please eat me first versus don't eat this yet. That's my fridge. You know, if I'm food styling, I'll have to hide some of the food at the back. But, you know, it's a, a prompter. 
which is so important to as a reminder to ourselves, to our families, to say, please eat this um, or else it's going to be sad food and, and out it goes to the garbage. And what about, you know, for example, yesterday we had a texter saying, uh, you know, every Thursday we had a, a meal that my mom called must go, which is those things that must go out of the fridge. With, with the Internet today and recipes, I, I believe there's even apps you can put in the ingredients you have that you may have had left over from a meal you created. You can create kind of a, a hybrid dinner. For sure. And let's say you don't even have a recipe. Soup is always the answer if if you don't know what to do with some of those, like a portion of vegetables, a portion of uh, carbohydrate or meat. Soup is always uh, a great way to use everything up. And, and again, kitchen sink soup, you know, heat it up. It's always a great way to save your money, uh, save our hard-earned money, that's for sure. And do you think that we're going to see a return, Sylvia, to casseroles? Because I do remember... You know, in the 70s and 80s, casseroles were king, and, and there might not be much better an option for leftovers than a casserole. I think casseroles, actually, I'm not too sure about that, Andy, but I think it is a really smart idea because a casserole, again, is a, a meal you can prepare, put it into the oven, set it and forget it, much like a slow cooker. And I think, actually, people are using their slow cookers. They're using their instant pots. And when you are cooking a casserole, you can always um, throw in like a pan of vegetables and roast them in a sh- on a sheet pan. That's what I did yesterday, right. actually. So I'm doubling up on making some of this food so I have a planned leftover so that, I, again, I don't have to cook extra. And it's a grab-and-go and reheat for when you've got, you know, busy schedules with kids to all kinds of events after school. Or, you know, you want to head to the gym quickly and just grab your dinner. All right, now we're going to bring you into the conversation. We had kind of a championship going on on the radio station yesterday, Sylvia, which was, okay, aside from the fact that we can stretch our dollars further, and I do love what you're saying in the sense that you're not, if you want to look further dollars, you're not you're running the dishwasher as much, you know, for some of those utensils, pots and pans and cooking, uh, you you know, implements to, to make it twice, uh, two meals. Uh, aside from that aspect, what is the best food to eat as a leftover? And what I'm getting at here is, those items that maybe even taste better the second or third day. What do you think? I think stews and soups taste so much better the next day, even lasagna. There's something about how the flavor develops in the fridge as it sits, and they taste fantastic day two and three. Absolutely. And uh, last minute, this is a, a question that's not on the list here, but I know you'll have an answer for us, Sylvia. For those folks who enjoy eating meat, um, it seems like almost every corner of the grocery store has been hit hard, uh, you know, when it comes to those meat shelves. What, what is the best value of meat these days to put on the table for your family? Um, well, with meat, I think people are, you know, should be welcome to still eat meat. But you can cut some of that cost by adding more vegetables into mm. that particular dish or more grains and beans. For example, if you have a chicken thigh or chicken breast, you can stuff it with extra vegetables and let's say some quinoa, if ground beef, and let's say you're doing a hamburger helper type of meal, like a homemade one, mm-hmm. instead of all the ground beef, you can substitute some lentils in that. And again, stretching that meat. And meat, if you have a large portion, like a giant steak, that's not going to go as far as if you have something that's sliced thin, mm-hmm. that cooks quickly. And... Um, you know, meat doesn't have to just be the center star, but, you know, portion out your plate so there's more vegetables and uh, carbohydrates on there. And that will definitely stretch out your meat dollar. And again, lesser cuts, lesser, um, less 
tough, I mean, more tough cuts, is what yeah. I'm saying, less tender cuts. And, you know, they taste fantastic in a slow cooker or an instant pot. That is the thing that tenderizes it. So your stews and, again, stretching that meat dollar and still enjoying it. Yeah. It's not maybe the star of the show, but the co-star. You had it as co-star yes. as that meat. Thank you so exactly. much. I, I knew you'd have some good answers for that one as well. Thanks, Sylvia. We appreciate your time this morning. My pleasure, Andy. Thanks so much, then. Take care. Sylvia Kong, Calgary-based food stylist. The data is in, and uh, the survey shows that half of Canadians don't have a will in their possession. This number stayed consistent over the years, and although it's counterintuitive, we've figured that the number would be going up during the COVID-19 pandemic. Not the case. Uh, so uh, we look at these uh, numbers and, and wonder exactly what's behind them, and uh, maybe dig into the fact that if we don't have a will, why would we need one, and why is it important? Elke Rubach is principal and founder of Rubach Wealth. Joins us this morning to discuss the importance of the will and how to get started if you're considering uh, getting one for you and your family. Good morning to you, Elke. Andy, how are you? Good, good. Uh, let's talk about this. The numbers, uh, less than half or half of Canadians don't have a will. Why do you think this is? What are your reasons from your profession? Well, Andy, you know what? I would think that the number's higher because those who do have a will there's a good chance that it's outdated. So the reasons are really, really human. We are human. We don't want to think about the end of our story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I understand it, but the happiest endings are when people have a will and when they have talked to their families about it and surprises aren't found post-mortem. Um, so, so it's understandable, but... It should not be avoided. The mess you leave behind is horrendous. And if you have young kids who have absolutely nothing to be blamed for in all of this story, and you die, you can absolutely destroy their lives. Well, let's talk about, you know, we mentioned the consistency of these numbers, not going higher remaining consistent even during the past handful of years, which the pandemic lied within those handful of years. Uh, and is counterintuitive to me because I would think that people would be maybe thinking about their mortality, maybe thinking about, you know, when they finally leave this earth. That was not the case. Why do you think people didn't have a greater interest during the pandemic? I think there's there's a fear that, and it's very strange to explain, it's, it's human behavior. If you have a will, you will die. And what we do with our clients is we know that we'll die anyway. We don't know when. And we also know that everybody has a legacy and it can be an organized one or a messy one. Why they don't do it? Because they think it's expensive, because they think it's a lot of work, because they don't even want to think about it, because they're busy. Uh, Like when you think about the times of pandemic, people with young kids were trying to work and keep the kid off camera right so it was messy busy and loud but what we do is we recommend okay let's not start with a will start with a financial plan because now you know what you have where it is etc etc so there's an awareness step one if you have a financial plan then you can go to a lawyer and you will feel much more comfortable telling the lawyer well i want this cottage here that house there the heirlooms that are usually the cause of the biggest fights distributed so and so and so in such a way. And then it also gives you the opportunity to talk to your family about it. Obviously, the conversation is different if your kids are three years old 
But many in their 60s, 70s, 80s have not had that conversation with their kids. Kids are afraid to raise the issue with a parent because it's very touchy. But then, at least if you talk about it, you know who's getting what and you have agreements, not assumptions, that destroy families. Elke, what's the best time to, to, to make a will? And what I'm getting at is I know that, you know, for example, you maybe decide you, you find the love of your life. You decide to get married. You're going to have a family that's on the, the docket as well. Do you wait? Okay, we're married now. Let's wait until we have kids. Okay, we've had one kid. We might have two more, for example. Um, or is it better to get a base done and then to add and amend that will? A, a short will is better than no will. And I think the best time to get it done is as soon as you become of age. First of all, you're young enough. You probably don't own anything to your name if you know, you're know you average Canadian. But with a will, usually come powers of attorney. If you have an accident and you can't make decisions financially or, or health-wise, you are deciding what you want, how you want to be dealt with. Um Again, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, right? But now is the time. And the other thing, people need to understand that it's a dynamic document. Just because you had one when your firstborn was was uh, uh, arrived, it doesn't mean that you don't have to look at it on an ongoing basis. And make sure that you have, you know, your wishes in the document, your powers of attorney in place, guardianship for your children or your pets, uh, what well, I wouldn't call guardianship for the pets, but anyway, generally speaking. And also, it's an opportunity to look at tax planning. Wills can help you keep more money in your family and also see that it's properly funded. So insurance is a conversation we have as well and that all your accounts are in there. So when is the best time? Yesterday. <laughs> I kind of knew you were going to say that, Alki. Uh, okay, uh, one last question here, and I know that, as we all know, unless you've been under a rock, it's it's tough. The economy has been tough on people. Finances, the price of groceries, and, uh, you know, stretching those dollars is something that are on the minds of many Canadians. A will is a legal document. As a result, it's not cheap. What are the options for people if they can't afford the costs associated with a will? And I, I understand that this is your game and this is what you do, but if it comes to, you know, putting food on the table and getting a will, I know that food's going to be put on the table first. Absolutely. I mean, we don't do the, the wills internally. We, we refer, depending on the client and what their needs are and the complexities, we refer to different lawyers. But these days, there are, there are, there's no excuse. There are resources like, resources like Willful with, by Erin um, Burry, who started, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I think... I think it's a couple hundred dollars, right? There are technicalities that you need to watch and so on. There's no excuse. $200 is, what, 10, 20 coffees or whatever, however you want to see it with all the tips and extras. You owe it to your family. You owe it to yourself. Again, I sit on the investment committee of the Office of the Public Guardian and Trustee here in Ontario, and the amount of money we manage for people who did not have a will and became or, or powers of attorney and became incompetent is horrendous. It's horrendous. And we don't want to, but we have to. And we have to take a very, very conservative approach to investing because we can't lose our money. But then we're paying one and two and three percent interest on money that should be properly invested by people who you know, who can have a conversation with the client. Yeah. So Having a will, there's no excuse. Two hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. Actually, I think we have a discount code for our clients with uh, Willful. We use those for 
like young professionals mm-hmm. and the kids of our clients so that, you know, depending on how complicated, yeah. will well, check it out. And, and okay. I'm not being paid by them at all. Okay. But but it's better to get a short one than no will. Yeah, I did not know it would be that affordable. That's fantastic. We're out of time, but thanks for your time, Elke. We appreciate it. You're very welcome, Andy. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That is Elke Rubach, principal and founder of Rubach Wealth.